0: I am so excited about today's episode. This is just truly an honor. I read a book and it completely changed my life. And then this author, this incredible author, agreed to come and talk to me about writing this book and about his journey. So let me tell you a little bit about him. David Cadavy is an accomplished author, speaker, blogger, podcaster, world traveler, thought leader, He's spoken in eight countries, and his speaking here in the U.S. includes South by Southwest, TEDx, among many, many more that I'm not listing. He has sold more than 70,000 books in seven different languages. He has a passion for helping people discover the one thing that they can do for the world, which is so, it's so aligned with exactly what I'm passionate about. And so, David, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here
1: Rachel, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. So, okay, let's go back to the beginning. As I was reading your book and hearing about your journey, you you allude to so many things about what got you to where you are. First of all, I want to I want to say that you are currently living in Medellin, Colombia, which is, you know, but originally you're from Nebraska. And so back in 2004, you were stuck in a cubicle in Nebraska. And I talked to so many people on a regular basis who say that they feel stuck, they feel uninspired, they have a lack of passion, they want to do something more meaningful with their lives. So what changed for you from, from kind of looking at your future and saying, okay, I'm going to be in this cubicle until retirement, what was the catalyst for you Uh, That kind of helped you break out of of that comfortable and predictable world.
1: Yeah, it's funny when when you say what changed for you. My immediate reaction is, well, nothing changed. It was just a realization of like how bad it was. Um, you know, I did. I just feel like I was born in the wrong place. You know, I, I sort of always had curiosities and was interested in things, and that made me weird. Um, to have actual interests besides Nebraska football <laughs> um, was was considered odd. I, I vividly remember wondering to myself, uh, "Why do I have to be friends with people who are in my same neighborhood?" Because this was pre-internet that I was growing up. And I would kind of look at my, around at my friends and, and think, well, these are my friends, but I don't I don't really vibe with them a lot. Why do I have to hang out with these people? There must be a whole other world out there. Mm. Uh, and however, I was still very scared. I was still uh, not confident. I was still insecure. Um, I think just a lot because of my upbringing was... I didn't have that that sort of support of, of uh, you know, you be whoever you want or whatever it is that you're interested in, you know, go go for it. I didn't really have those examples around me. Everybody was just kind of living their Midwestern, middle class uh lifestyle. And so I didn't know a lot of people who were entrepreneurs or who did something that was uniquely their own but i felt inside of me that that was i i I realized now i had that drive i was always experimenting with i was interested in science and drawing and i was collecting bugs and i was just always interested in, in in something i was very very able to entertain myself and uh and even when it came time to go to college i stayed pretty close um to my hometown for that because I was because I was scared. And I did somehow gain the courage to do a study abroad in Italy, which was a wonderful experience. I'm so glad that I had that opportunity. Uh, and I was scared on my mind to do that. And when I came back, I really did not want to go back to Nebraska. Um, but I also had a graphic design degree. Uh, and in 2002, that wasn't a hot commodity and uh, tried try as much as I did. I wanted to go to any big city like San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, even, even Minneapolis to me was like, okay, I would love to go to Minneapolis, but I just ended up back in Nebraska because I couldn't find a job in any of those places, mostly because I couldn't find a job without being there, but I couldn't be there without a job um and i just didn't have the guts to just you know pick up and move to one of those places and so there I was back in nebraska for a few years after college and uh i'm kind of grateful that for that experience because i was i, I really badly wanted out and i i w- did feel kind of miserable about it and i did Think to myself, other there's there's other places in the world, um, and I had seen that at that point, so I knew. Um, and I think if there was any turning point for me, it was, I think I was in the office a late night after work and had been reading different blogs about web design um, and wanted to blog myself. But felt very intimidated by it and I wasn't sure how to do it. Mm-hmm. All the all the ones I saw on the web looked so nice and it just looked complicated. And I knew a little bit of HTML, I knew a little bit of CSS, but I didn't know how to make something like that. And then I realized, oh, there's this blogger.com thing. So I went on blogger.com and I said, okay, let's just let's just get one blog post out. Let's just get one blog post out. Let's just just get one blog post out. And I made up a name for the blog. I don't know if you think of it as like my blog or David Kadavi's blog. And I just realized, okay, no, well, now I have to write a blog post. I'm going to start a blog. So I just quickly wrote, I think it's 130 words of just barfing out exactly what I was experiencing in that moment. And you can still go see this. It's my first blog on kadavi.net. And it's me saying, all right, I'm trying out this blog thing. Uh, sometimes I have this vision of perfectionism and I get paralyzed by that. And so now I'm just going to barf this out and, and put this out there. And it has a misspelling. It's It doesn't really flow. But I got that first blog post out there and I still have that blog today, uh, 18 years later. Um, and... That was probably a big turning point for me, I think. Um, Along with that and a few other lucky breaks, I did get discovered by a startup in Silicon Valley. And uh, it it hadn't been my aspiration necessarily to move to San Jose, California, but uh, it looked like the weather was really nice there and it was California and it wasn't Nebraska. And so I went and it turned out to be really great because it was Silicon Valley during a really exciting time.
0: Wow. What a journey. That is incredible. But what I love is that I think so many people can relate to that being paralyzed by perfectionism. I definitely struggle with that myself and pretty much everybody I talk to. And so, but I think the fact that you were willing to fail forward shows so much about who you are and your courage, right? Like when when you were intimidated to start the blog, what did what made you, here's what I think. I think most people say, you know what? That feels really hard. I don't know what, how to do that or what to do. So instead of trying it and possibly failing, I think I'm just not going to do it. So what, what kind of got you past that intimidation and just, just willing to fail forward?
1: If there were, well, there was certainly, I was inspired by, uh, the blogs that I had seen out there, but mm. then that was maybe in a way that was working against me because they looked so great, right? And I couldn't imagine making something like that. There was somebody locally who had a website that he would play around with, and I had at least put like Flash. Mm-hmm. I, I like um, there was just some programming like toys I had put up, and so I had the website up at least, and 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 then it became became the blog. Um, you know, I, if I were to guess what m- pushed me over the edge, I, I, in some ways feel grateful about like how miserable I was mm-hmm. in that existence. Uh, I had also just gotten out of like a really toxic relationship mm-hmm. that I should not have been in for as long as I was. Right, Um, and it, 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 actually right before that, so maybe it was a little bit just sort of reaching out uh screaming into the void, uh, trying to see what I would hear back to to remind myself that uh, that I existed and that I was a worthy person
2: mm-hmm.
1: um And so I'm sort of I'm kind of grateful for how miserable I was at that time because I think that it was it, it was a little bit of desperation right and I think that desperation can be a, a really useful tool uh, that can, cause you to do things that you might otherwise, if your life is comfortable and happy, decide, "Mm, you know, I'm just not going to take that chance.
0: Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think your desperation gets to a point where it is bigger than your fear of failure. Like your desire to change your circumstances is bigger than your fear of failure. And you're bigger, bigger than your fear of like what other people think. And that, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's kind of that,
1: that idea, nothing to lose. Right. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Is everything to gain, nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, I feel like I've had nothing to lose a, a number of different times in my life. And it's actually really exciting, wonderful yeah, <laughs> kind of uh, gift.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Did you, during all of this, did you ever experience a lack of support from anybody or did you have, was everybody cheering in your corner, like believing in you? <laughs>
1: Uh, I laughed because absolutely not. I did not have people cheering me on. Um, you know, it was, it, I didn't get necessarily active resistance at the time. If I had been in the toxic relationship still, I certainly would have, I think. Uh, but it, it was, it was certainly, my friends were puzzled. I would be excited about my blog and I would send it and uh send it to a friend or something and i remember one friend was like why why are you doing this and they're like oh you know i'm just sharing my ideas i'm gonna um write on stuff on on it and use it to practice web design use my blog to practice web design He's like well is somebody paying you to do this (laughs) and i mean it sounds like like a to To me, hearing that right now, it sounds like I'm making it up, mm-hmm. like who would say that but and and I don't know if it sounds like that to other people right now because we do live in this world now where it is a, there's a lot more people doing their own thing, like that's kind of what almost everybody seems to want to do, right, but at that period of time, we're talking two thousand four here um people a lot of people aren't even using the internet yet uh. Just this, this idea that you're gonna set up a blog and spend any time and energy on that when you have a day job um you, you should be building your career and right. all that
0: climbing that corporate ladder David <laughs> right yeah. Like, I mean, yeah yeah,
1: and we're talking i you know i don't i I hate to throw Nebraska under the bus because I'm sure it's a fine place to be especially right now'. Cause the, the internet right this is fine of like of course people doing interesting things in nebraska but right. like it took a long time for technology to arrive mm-hmm. uh, to nebraska and for the attitudes uh coming along with that uh to to change as, as well so it was a very like uh it was a very stagnating in environment in that respect i did work at an architecture firm mm-hmm. so i was i felt very fortunate that with the job that i had and the mm-hmm. people i was surrounded with um who were generally pretty creative but you know one of the main things the architecture firm did was like design old folks homes oh, uh or retirement <laughs> communities you know so just to give just give you an idea of kind of like the mentality and, and attitude uh that there was it wasn't necessarily like a uh, a a growth and excitement type of atmosphere um and uh, you know there there was at least you know there were coworkers that i had who were who were somewhat su- supportive of that or mm-hmm. especially the it guy mm-hmm. that we would just look at different blogs and share them with one, with one another and oh did you see this latest gtd thing you know getting things done was big uh, well, that was the big cro- uh, productivity movement. Forty-three folderscom blog was huge then, and so we'd send each other things related to that. But uh, that was uh, about the amount of support that I had until I um, met the person who moved me to Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. um, and that was uh, that was a completely different type of experience. Uh, relating to another person than I had had uh, in my day-to-day life before then.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting. I grew up in Texas. um, And I do think when, when you're talking about, I don't think it's a Nebraska mindset necessarily. Like, I think it might be more of like, cause I, I saw a lot of that too. I think that there's a lot of, of the, the mindset when you get into a job and you feel like you just have to do a job for the rest of your life versus yeah. looking at a bigger picture and, and saying, I might want to pursue my, my passions and create a living and a life outside of just clocking in, you know, it's like, there's just a different mentality it, it, that I even experienced in myself when mm-hmm. I worked for somebody versus running my own business, you know? Uh, well, and
1: yeah. you're in Fort Worth. Where Did you grow up in in, I mean, Texas is a huge state. There's a lot of middle of nowhere in Texas.
0: Yeah. No, I was always in the city. I I was in the Houston area, but you know, the one thing I studied abroad also in Austria and I was able to see, yes, it was, it was an amazing experience. And that was the first time that I had really left what I knew and saw a world outside of just my, my comfortable little 10 mile radius and it really, we might've taken a road trip to Missouri. Like, don't get me wrong. It was mm-hmm. very, you know, very exotic, but, but literally going to Austria and traveling ac- across the the world, seeing other parts. And then I was able to travel through other parts of Europe and all that. And that really opened my eyes and gave me courage. And then it turned me into just this little traveler, you know, once I, once I got a taste of that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to move to Manhattan. I moved to Manhattan after that. Like it was like, what in the world? But it, it does. And I, I have a feeling that that probably opened your eyes to a totally different world when you were studying in Italy.
1: I absolutely. And actually you talk about going on road trips in Missouri. I remember we went on a field trip to Minneapolis, uh, and, you know, I took all these photos of all the buildings and everything like th- that was like my first like, big city experience. We had gone on vacations and stuff as a family, but Minneapolis. OK. And then I go to Rome mm. for four and a half months and that blew my brain wide open. Mm. And it's almost like I've read some stuff from Thomas Jefferson writing to his nephew where he says like, you got to travel early because if you travel later in life, it's really inconvenient and yeah. really destabilizing. Um, and you aren't able to reintegrate what you see into your life. So you have to do it early. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I, I agree with that because when I went to Rome, I was, I don't know, maybe I was 22 or something like that, which I feel it, it's a little late in, in life. Maybe I mean maybe it's the right time. It's better better than later. Yes. Um, but not that it's ever too late, I right. guess. But but it certainly was. I do I did have the realization that, oh my gosh, Pandora's box has been opened mm-hmm. and my entire conception of reality uh has been un- completely unraveled. And it is going to take me a very, very, very long time to reach any sort of stasis in I mean I guess first of all realizing who I am and realizing what the world is and realizing what I want out of the world is going to take me a very long time to reach any sort of comfort mm. and that was 2001 right mm. so that was like 21 years ago and I feel like I'm getting there mm-hmm. but i guess i should also just accept like it's just never going to happen and maybe i don't want it to happen mm-hmm. like maybe life is boring if you reach stasis uh where it's like okay this is just the way things are right and it's just not going to happen also because uh, entropy right like that's the state of the universe is mm-hmm. it's always changing no matter how much you sometimes want things to stay the same mm-hmm. things are always going to be changing so you have to be comfortable with that
0: Yeah. And I, I think it's imperative to accept and embrace change because if you don't, then you're always going backwards. Like you, you have to be changing and evolving with life because life is you're exactly right. Like it's never going to stay the same. And so by not accepting it and truly embracing it and embracing the fact that you might fall on your face if you try something new and you might miss a a train and not be able to speak English in a different country. But it's like you miss out on all these joys and these experiences that open your eyes to more than just this this country that we know. And there's there's this whole world out there, you know, and I I envy you so much living in a different country and and being able to still have so much communication and contact with everybody here in the States, but then be able to kind of be in this, in this alternate place that gives you this different perspective and different culture.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, you know, I think that like change is a skill mm. and it's a skill that you need to practice. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm at this point in, in my life where I, I guess I've learned to maybe crave a little bit of the that feeling of fear mm-hmm. when you're making a change. Like I'm making a change, a big change right now. I'm moving out of the city up into the mountains, kind of the country area where it's quieter, there's not as many people. And I've never really challenged myself in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh I've challenged myself by like living in different cities and stuff. And uh, you know, it's a little bit like, Oh, what's going to happen? How, what's my life going to look like in six months even? And, and while it's scary and sometimes, um, yeah, while it's disorientating, uh, and and can be, can be scary. That's a a feeling that I'm so familiar with now because I've made those big changes so many times that I have to just, I guess, accept that it's something that I crave in my life.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about your book and I'm thinking about Mm-hmm. The million different places that you were in just while writing this book. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I when you described, there's this scene where you describe sitting on a sofa in, I can't remember where it was exactly. You'll know, you'll know where it was. And, and you could like see the bugs crawling on the sofa. Oh, yeah. And then you went that Chicago, to, yeah. that was in Chicago. I couldn't even remember because you were bouncing all around like the world and then you couldn't get your visa. It was in Chicago visa. after I had yeah.
1: spent, um, I think it was in Chicago after I had spent nine days in Panama and then because I had gotten kicked out of Colombia. Yeah. Uh, because of the visa,
0: right? Because you had to get something with your visa?
1: Because because I had very bad visa luck. <laughs> troubles yes yes. and so yeah i had to leave colombia because of some visa miscommunication about the number of days i had left in the country had to go to panama and spent nine days in panama and then i think i had to come back for a visa interview and then i think my visa was rejected again and so then i had to like go to Somewhere, and I went to Chicago, and then I ended up in an Airbnb that had bed bugs, and then after that, I was just done. And I went and spent six weeks uh, at my parents' house. Yeah. Um. After that, uh, because I had to wait for the change in the year, Mm -hmm. so that I could re-enter the country that I called home. (laughs) I
0: I can't I can't even when I was listening to you. Talk about all of this travel. I, I, I could. My head was spinning at all the different places that you were. <laughs> okay, so looking back at that now, like now that you're, now that you're like st- stable in a in a place where you I'm can, no, you am now
1: a permanent resident of Colombia.
0: <laughs> okay, so, so you look back now. Fingers crossed. Yes. like
1: <laughs> I can stay here now. That's... I can stay on the soil that's underneath my feet.
0: Oh my gosh! So when you look at that situation of. Of you know, you did a, a podcast in Panama in a closet where you thought it was gonna be quiet, but there was a huge construction site like on the other side of the wall, but you had booked a guest that you could you knew you couldn't cancel out, you like you knew you had to do it. And all these things, going to to Chicago, going to your parents in, in Arizona just sort of being this nomad during that time. When you look back now, what are the biggest lessons that you learned during that time?
1: Mm. well it is surprising to think to myself that uh if somebody had told me that i'd have to do that that i would i decide not to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think that i i think i would be on the fence (laughs) actually i don't have a clear answer to 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 that question that i ask myself um and so maybe maybe that is the lesson is that you're just gonna have chaos in life, you're gonna have blow ups. I mean, we've all experienced that mm-hmm. the last few years. thing's just not going at all how we expected, and you have to yes and it mm-hmm. it's uh it's that's that's like the rule of improv and that's the rule of of life, and I think that and that's. You know, the way I think I've uh, tried to approach productivity too is that people think that productivity is going to be about holding on to this goal and driving towards this goal mm-hmm. and getting exactly that. But you can't tell the future. You don't have control over the world. So you have to just do your very best to sort of Plinko your way to some semblance of the vision that you have for yourself.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean and so maybe yeah. that was
1: accepting that of just I mean cuz it was it 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 started to be there was that that happened and then there's some other stuff that's in the book that we can certainly talk about if yes, you want to but yes. I won't I won't get get too deep into it right now but then it was just like years mm-hmm. of things that were equally as crappy as mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and then the pandemic mm-hmm. um and I guess uh, I, 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 there was a line in the in the book uh, that I felt like I was in a broken slot machine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that's sometimes the best that you can do when things are really not going your way is just realize like, okay, this is all randomness. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have some period of your life where everything's going perfect. And when things are really, really not going well, You kind of got to tell yourself like, Hey, you know, just like, if you flip a coin a hundred times, you're going to, you're going to flip heads or tails like 10 times in a row. Sometimes you're gonna be like, what's going on? Is this coin broken? That's just the way that randomness works. Sometimes Mm. things are not going your way. And sometimes you have to like, keep on pulling the slot machine, keep Mm. on flipping the coin and be okay with the fact that it's not, not going to work out and, uh, stay alive.
0: Right. Do you think that that time in your life gave you lessons in being resilient that you would have never gotten otherwise?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, it's a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's, if alienating is the word or not, but when I think back to the world that I lived in, when I was in the cubicle Mm -hmm. In 2004, and the people around mm-hmm. who I was surrounded by and stuff, and the the concerns of a lot of those people, like what what the concerns and fears as well, I find it hard to relate. And so that's why I kind of when I say something like, "Oh, it was this because I was in Nebraska or something," and you say, "Actually, you know, if you, it's it's kind of like, like that world still exists, right?" And I hardly even know because I don't have much contact with it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even when I go visit family in Arizona and it's just like the things that suburban people are concerned with, like on the whole, Mm -hmm. not everybody, obviously, you're just sort of like, you're worried about whose car is parked in front of your house. Like, (laughs) yeah like what yeah and it's just sort of like you know i've had a wonderful life like i've experienced those things those things kind of sucked but it's nothing like you know if you read a story about like what it was like to be in world war Two or something like that it's nothing like that right and i can only imagine what it's like for somebody like that who comes back from a place like that you're just surrounded by people who are like have these sort of frivolous concerns and like you're just like, I've been through it all. Who cares? Like, right.
0: right. None of that matters. Um, but I, I do think that that is the result of people n- not pursuing a life outside of their little bubble. Because if you never pursue a life outside of your little bubble, then those little tiny things are the most important thing in your bubble. But, But what's sad is that there's this whole world of experience outside of that, that they are just not they're not privy to because they haven't put themselves in those situations, right? Like your perspective yeah. completely changes. And if I stay comfortable for too long, <laughs> I certainly find myself getting caught up in the silliest, most trivial things. And I, I have to catch myself, you know, and say, Hey, this does not matter. Let's think big picture here, you know? So I understand Absolutely. how it happens, but I love that I have the other perspective to keep myself in check.
1: Oh, absolutely! And I, and I go straight there too mm-hmm. every single day, as well. I don't want to sound like I think that I'm better than I others know. because of that or something. But, but uh, yeah, I, what the as the saying kind of goes that the magic happens outside of your comfort zone, yeah. right? And um, it's just so happens that there's certain there's some goals that if you have, like, say you want to live abroad, that that you're just you're just going to end up outside of your comfort zone and i don't really know how to force somebody who is in a totally comfortable life where like look when i was growing up we would move the the thermostat one degree which i still do by the way but <laughs> uh, we move the thermostat one it's like oh it's too hot we need it. it's right. like 78 77 okay <laughs> we move the term to that one degree. Like there, it's just amazing luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you just find yourself in situations. Sometimes where you just, you just have no control over mm-hmm. it. I mean, I, I think it, for me, there was a big turning point when I was, uh, I'll always remember this moment when I was on my study abroad and we were on a train somewhere in France. And I think we had, I had slept on a floor the night before or something. I had slept terrible and I just was trying to sleep on this train, and there was this little girl who was like running around and like grabbing people's bags and stuff, and and her parent wasn't disciplining her or anything. And I just remember feeling so out of like I didn't have control and feeling awful about it. And I was listening to Muddy Waters on a compact disc, <laughs> uh, in blues music, yeah. and trying to sleep. And I just had this realization oh i don't have control over this and s- this wave of of relaxation washed over me and some switch flipped in me that changed forever in wow. that moment wow <laughs> and i it's it's hard to find to get, get to those moments but yeah. i still do have have those things and i try to mitigate it we're like um. I think I ordered some shoes online once and they were gray and they arrived and uh, I thought they were going to be cool gray, but they were warm gray. Mm. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I got to return these shoes. And I like think about going to the UPS store, like downloading the PDF, don't have a printer. I got to figure out how to print this thing. And it was, it wasn't as easy as it was, as it is now to like return stuff, say on Amazon. And then I thought like, if I just forget about this in three weeks, am I even going to notice the shoes aren't the color that I thought that they were going to be? Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I don't think you are going to notice. And so I said, okay, just shut up Uh to myself. And uh, I kept the shoes and they were fine. (laughs) I wore them out.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. So, okay. I want to talk about the the book that you wrote that really this is not your first book you wrote heart to start first right
1: design for hackers oh design for hackers 2011 first. oh my gosh and okay. then uh the heart to start 2017 yeah
0: okay so heart to start i cannot wait to read that's that's next on my list the one that i came across first was your most recent book mind management not time management and yes. this book rocked my world for so many different reasons. And and as I was trying to think about it and really articulate why it rocked my world so much, I'm going to give you all of my thoughts on that. So I, I am chronically distracted and I don't think that I am alone in that. I think that we live in a society that really feeds that chronic distraction. And then I also think I'm a little bit bent to um, ADD. I've never had any sort of diagnosis or testing. I just think that I, you know, my family has diagnosed me. They've all told me that that's that they think I have it. So I do not doubt it at all. But this book, that one of the first things that you said in the very beginning, because I am creative and business-minded and really what I do requires both. And so one of the things that really caught me and hooked me in the very beginning, is you said, time management is a myth. Because t- what time management does, and I'm paraphrasing here because you said it so much more beautifully, but time management, basically what you're doing is you are becoming so efficient at everything you do and you can outsource and you can, you know, squeeze every last bit of juice out of that lime and just get get everything squared away as quickly as possible. But what that does is that opens up your entire schedule to schedule more things. So then you're still overseeing all of the things that you, that you, uh, you know, outsourced or whatever. And then you are still, now you're adding more things. So you're responsible for that. So really what you've done with time management is you've made yourself more busy. And when you stack your schedule over and over and over every single day, and you never have a moment to breathe or think you lose the ability to be creative. And I was like, oh my gosh, he just described my life. like you described my life because that's, it's very easy in, I just think society and just being a working mom and all of that, you get into that, that habit of just being busy, busy, busy all the time. And then you lose the ability to be creative. So talk to me about, I want you to talk now, because that was my take on the book. And you gave me freedom to look at things from, you gave me tools to look at things as a, as a, as a week instead of a day. So I'm going to look at my entire week and say, when am I the most creative? When am I the, the best? And really block those times off. And you gave me a formula to maximize my efforts in each area and be more effective and less exhausted and do each thing better. Now I'm really done talking because now I want you to talk. Those were those were some of the many ways that your book impacted me and really changed my life. So now you you talk.
1: That that was wonderful. Uh yeah, what you said about basically doing begets more doing. Mm. Uh you know, you get the where you're managing something or you're outsourcing something, and then you sort of it's like sending emails, right? The more emails you send, the more emails you receive but what happens is you send the emails and now you're like oh i don't have anything to do so i'm going to send some more emails (laughs) but then while you're doing something more emails arrive and now you've got more stuff to do so just sort of piles just sort of pile onto one another and uh the the basic premise or, or thesis behind the book or the realization that i came to uh was that time management is this industrial idea that we're going to break down our actions into a sequence of things that are going to take a certain amount of time and by following those actions we're going to produce things it started with frederick taylor uh the example that you he uses in his book from 1900 or something about, about scientific management is, is somebody just moving chunks of iron It could be a brick layer be a a great uh, archetypal example is, okay, you just have to pick up the bricks, put in the mortar, put the bricks on the mortar. And I'm sure there's a little bit more to it than that, but that's basically the job. And that um, was such a revolution in in management. Does that, oh, we can study the time that it takes to do something and then you can do it quicker and we've advanced a little bit beyond that through knowledge work and um but ultimately we're still holding on to that people are still obsessed with time people have what i call time worship and that like that is the one sort of thing by which they measure is this something that you can do or can't do you know when somebody interrupts you do you have a minute well, the minute's not the thing that I'm concerned about. The thing I'm concerned about is that I'm very focused on this thing that I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. And where is that relevant in that, in that conversation? I mean, it's an innocent thing, but you just, when you examine the, the way that we talk in our culture about time, you start to realize that there's some sort of strange things. Like for example, time is money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Time is money. And that makes sense from a time management perspective. Um, Yet we call our unused time free time. Mm-hmm. Now, do we call our unused money free money? And then, in some organizations, our free time is actually available to our coworkers if they're if they're scheduling a meeting, they can look at our calendar and see there's an open block of time here. Oh, let me. Uh, schedule her in a meeting what if our free money was that way right what if people just like look at our bank account and say oh well she's not using this money yeah but if time is money then how come we're treating it that way right it's like time is money when it's your boss's time but you know when it's your time it's free time so there's just these really strange Um, assumptions that we make about time and so what i realized was that well there's only there's only so much time that you can save it's sort of like a raised floor and that uh you know there's only so much money you can save so make more money there's so much so much time you can save so you know get more energy and you'll feel like you have more time because you know when you have the right energy to do something it feels like you have all the time in the world when you're not in the right mental state to do something it feels like you have no time at all it feels like you're very you're very stressed so i started to ask myself well how can we um get these more productive moments that don't necessarily take a lot of time but it's because you have a great idea or uh like just as an example uh a novel how long does it take to type a novel it takes if you're a decent typer it'll take you a day to type a novel that is something that is made easier by say a computer uh you know the typewriter how long does it take to write a novel that's worth reading well, if you even try to read some of the novels that come out of NaNoWriMo, you'd say, well, probably more than a month to write a good novel. So the the, the problem isn't, are you doing this fast enough? The problem is, are are you having really good ideas? And as we're entering this age that people are so concerned about, about uh, with, with automation and AI and computers being able to, to be doctors to like... Um, diagnose diseases better than doctors can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are humans good for? Well, humans are good for creativity. And I think that's something we've lost touch with because we've all been trained in this industrial um, educational system where you follow the curriculum and you fill out the bubbles in the test. And by the way, you better fill them out with a number two pencil. Why? Because a machine is going to get confused if you use a number 3 pencil because the machine already knows the answers everybody already knows the answers you're just learning the things that people already know and we need to shift into this world where we're learning the things that only we know um that we, because they're the things that are unique to ourselves right and i think that we would be a little bit less scared if we were a little bit better equipped for that world, and uh anyway, so now I've g- gone on to a, a number of uh I've gone kind of down to the crux of w- what this book is 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 about to me
0: no, I love it I love it 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 is so powerful because it made me think about things in a completely different way because I've been trying to be better at time management for mm, I don't know like the last two decades I don't know like as long as I can remember being an adult I've been trying to be better at time management and so you opened my eyes to just a completely different way of thinking and so I kind of want to break it down for for people and not give too much away because you have to read this book like you have to it's so entertaining because you intertwine it with all of these personal stories and like the the story of of your visa in in Colombia and getting kicked and uh, kicked out and you know, having to go all of these different places and you know, before you could come back, like there are so many personal stories. I was bawling my eyes out at the end of your book, you know, hearing these these personal stories about your family and uh, and it's so it touched me on an emotional level so deeply because I was so connected to you. Uh, as a human. And then, and then you, you brought me in, um, mentally with this other way of looking at how I can manage with my, every person I know feels scheduled t- to the max. They don't feel, there are very few people that I know that would say, Oh yeah, I've got extra time. Let me let me add that to my let me add that to my list. Like yeah, let's throw that in there. You know, that sounds great. Nobody, right? You you have to sacrifice something in order to add something else to your schedule. So, if every person I know feels that way, this is a really revolutionary way of looking at things because this gives you freedom to manage your schedule in a way that that actually makes you f- feel like you're accomplishing things. And so, so I, I, you know, essentially what it was that you did for me, and this is me, listen, you know, this book intimately because these are your thoughts and your words. So me as the reader. I just want to say, I would love to
1: hear this because I'll say right up front, like uh, uh, an issue that a lot of people have with the book is that I have so much control over my life Mm -hmm. and so much control over my schedule in in part by happenstance, in part by the choices that I've made, that somebody who's a busy, you know, a a mother, etc., kind of says, well, what can I do? So I think I'm interested to hear what your take on it, because I know that you have children. And um, that's one of the major things that uh, people often say, well, this will work for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it does because what you said a little while ago is it doesn't take as long to do things as you think it does. Like it doesn't actually take as long. It, it could take me three hours to complete a task, but it's because I'm doing 10 tasks at one time. Versus if I took 15 to 20 minutes of concentrated effort on a task, I could complete that in one sitting efficiently effectively and actually probably do it way better right and so for me reading this i it opened my mind to just looking at things in a different perspective as far as my weekly schedule and so what i loved about it was you really broke it down by day so every single person can apply this to their own life so Sunday is typically, and it's funny because I wrote out my entire calendar sitting by the pool on Sunday, on a Sunday afternoon this summer, listening. And as you were doing this, I went in and I got a pad of paper and I started to write out my schedule. Like, what are the things that I need to do during the week? What are my responsibilities that are, that are, uh, you know, absolutely non-negotiables, Right. What do those tasks require for me? Which tasks require creativity? Which tasks require kind of more of a um a, a accounting brain or whatever, you know, like those those administrative tasks, right? that sucks the life force out of me. I don't want to do those, and so I wait until the the last minute to do that kind of stuff. but it's so it's interesting because you said Monday more early in the morning, and I think that i I connected with you on this so much because I'm very similar, so you said, mornings and early in the week is when you are the most rested, the most refreshed and the most creative. And I was like, absolutely no question. I feel the exact same way I've gotten recharged. I let myself, you know, relax over the weekend a little bit and I'm ready and excited and motivated. And I'm feeling more creative and excited to be creative and put those ideas down. And so by blocking that time off. And one of the biggest things that I loved was you cutting out the distractions. And so because we live in this chronically distracted environment all the time, and there's all the dings and there's all the notifications coming up on your phone all the time, you have all of these tips and and tricks in the book about how to kind of isolate yourself from those things during just that block of time, not forever, but just during that block of time so that you can get them done effectively, efficiently, and then, and better, you know, and then move on to the next thing. So it it was revolutionary in my brain and in my life, truly.
1: That's awesome. Uh yeah, I think that a lot of it is really um mitigating that feeling that the present is whatever's going on right now is forever. Mm -hmm. Because I think two things can make us feel really bad about what we're doing in a moment. One can be that, oh, this thing that i this task that i hate is just never going to end or this task that i love i shouldn't be doing because i should be doing this other thing that i don't actually want to be doing Mm. so if you can sort of put things in place so that you feel so that you know that the things that you don't so much like to do are gonna get done uh and that you do have the space to do the things that you do like to do with your best energy, then things start to feel a lot easier. I think that a big problem that a lot of us have is that we live by the to do list. Mm-hmm. We look at the to do list; it's often not in any particular order, and we're like, "Well, look, I've got to do all these things." Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you start with the first item, and you just you don't you're not feeling it. You don't want to do it. Um. Think about it like an elite athlete. An elite athlete isn't going to show up to a competition uh, not having done something to get themselves in the right state to do that. And so we can be the same. And it doesn't have to be that you need to get yourself into a certain state to do a certain thing, because oftentimes you'll find, if you look at that list, there's something on that that you feel in the right state to do. And you can do all the things that fit that state. And I talk about in the book, I mean, it doesn't work that well in audio, but uh, I talk about in the book about how you can tag things according to mental state so that when you are in this particular mental state and you do this task, well, now you can go on to the next one that fits that, that fits that state. Maybe your state changes and then you've got a whole other bunch of tasks that you can do uh, relative to that state. But also I think what's important is those times when you are the most creative, when you do have the most energy and protecting that. And those are the times where you're going to have those great ideas that make that novel worth reading. Mm-hmm. Uh and those are and that is how you actually end up having to do a little bit less work. The better the ideas you have, uh, the less Uh, the less running around you have to do, you know, so like if you write a novel that sells a million copies, you don't have to rush on to the next novel. You can take your time.
0: (laughs) I love it. So, okay. I want to, as, as we kind of start to wrap this up, I, I want to circle back to your, your passion for helping people discover the one and only thing that they can do for the world. because. I think that you have this unusual and very unique brain that is so scientific, that is so business and you know you understand all of these intricate things, but then you also have a very you're a very relatable, loving spirit that you love to help people. and it it comes through in every bit of your writing. I mean, your newsletters on Monday, I mean, I'm blown away and I, I, there are very few newsletters that I actually read. I mean, they're just, my my inbox is just full of them, you know, but your words are so to the point there, there seems to be no agenda. There seems, it truly is, you create messages to serve the people that are reading them. And I find that to be unique in this world that always wants to further an agenda of some sort, and you never get that impression with anything that you put out. So, what is this passion that you have? Where does it come from? And tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Uh, I think it's it's just because I've been through it, and I know what it's like. And I it pains me to see other people suffer the same things that I was suffering when there is a way out mm. um you know it, i i i'm touched that uh my work gives that impression that i'm doing that giving and and helping um because it's really i i do it quite selfishly to be honest yeah uh in you know it's not like i'm not trying to help yeah. but i think first of all is trying to help myself and 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 trying to um, teach people what I just learned. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and I, but I do think that we have this. We're at this kind of crisis point where people were worried about where the world is going, and they uh, feel like there's no way out. And yet, at the same time, they're stuck in these boring, pointless, uh, soul sucking jobs and existences, and they are uh, further. Um, sort of shackled into those by pursuit of material things and by uh, pursuit of other, I guess, things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And it, it, it becomes this big tangled mess and just doing whatever little thing I feel like I can do to help untangle that as best as I can.
0: Yeah. Well, you do a great job and you know, you might say that you're doing some of these things selfishly, but I actually I view it as as the opposite of that because I don't think that there are many people who are willing to try things, fail at them, try a different way, find what works and then be be willing to share that journey of failure, failure, failure. Okay, now I found what what succeeded, right? Like that's the difference right there. Is and that's where it actually becomes unselfish is because you are willing to share what you've learned, what you failed at, and then turn it into something valuable that does serve other people. And so don't discount that because I think that that's <laughs> a really special, special thing. So David, I,
1: I'm i glad yeah. it has that result.
0: Oh my gosh, it does. It does. It's incredible. So what is next for you as, you know, as, as we wrap this up, tell me what is next for you? Do you have another book? Do you have, obviously you're going to move to the mountains in Colombia, out of the city of Medellin. What is next for you after that?
1: Yeah, I'm working on the third book in the Getting Art Done trilogy, of which uh, Mind Management, Not Time Management is the second book. Uh, the third book, I, I will boldly proclaim, is going to be about finishing. I'm saying boldly proclaim that because it's going to look really bad if I don't finish that book. <laughs> um, and then I think after that, my I would like to, uh, you know, I think that I would like to build, build authority in reverse sort of, uh, I think that people, there are a lot of readers who respect what I have to say, but I'm also figuring this stuff out as I go. Mm -hmm. And so once that trilogy is done, I would like to, uh, take what I learned in writing it and, um, create some things that aren't related to how to create, I guess, so I'm working on a little bit of fiction stuff on the side. I'm working on uh, a, a bunch of different little projects. I've got making a lot of small bets.
0: Well, that is awesome. I I am going to be excited to read anything you put out, and I'm going to start. Uh, I just am almost done with the book that I'm reading now and heart to start is next on my list. So I'm going to message you as soon as I finish it and give you my, you know, I don't imagine I'm going to love it any less than mind management, not time management. So (laughs) I will message you and give you my full breakdown. So I'm so excited. Very,
1: very different books. but uh, They both have some great fans. So I hope that you enjoy it.
0: Oh, I know. I know that I will, but thank you so much for being here with me today. This was so fun and I I learned so much and just really enjoyed it getting to chat with you one-on-one, so.
1: Thank you so much, it's been an honor and thank you for conducting a fantastic interview.
0: Well, thank you and I hope that we talk again soon. If this episode resonated with you today, please share it with at least two people you think would love it too. Keep up with the show at The Rachel Roth Show on Instagram and TikTok and keep up with me at Rachel underscore R underscore Roth on Instagram and TikTok. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I know it sounds silly, but it really does make a huge difference. And it allows this content to get in front of more people. I can't wait to see you again.